Welcome to episode 70. I am your host, Gail M. Davis, and this is Design Perspectives. Welcome to the Design Perspectives podcast. I am your host, Gail Davis. I will talk all things design from expectation to reality, from what to expect when working with designers as well as the trades. And from time to time, current events will seep their way into the conversation. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen. What do you do when you have a pain point and no one is addressing it? You start your own business. And that's exactly what Ella Hall of Stitch Room did. She was the liaison and she was the person who, when designers were unhappy with the product because she was in the space with them, they would complain to her and she would make it right. She started sewing when she was a little girl in the Midwest and morphed this into an amazing business. Not only does she create stunning pillows, She does headboards, window treatments, and has hired a master upholsterer. So please go check out Stitch Room. It is an amazing platform. And instead of going to your workroom, you can do everything through the website. It is superfluous the way she has this running. Without further ado, let's hear Ella's story. Hey, Ella, good morning. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast. I can't wait to talk to you. (laughs) Good morning, Gail. Thanks for having me on. Okay. So I want to hear about the Stitch Room because clearly this was a pain point. Let's talk about, and we'll explain to the people, how did you get started and why? Yes. So... Hi, everybody. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Wisconsin in a, in a relatively small town. And I actually come from a family of accountants and numbers people, so not really on the creative side of things. And when I was seven years old, I asked Santa for a sewing machine. And it was totally out of the blue. And I think it was because I had seen one when I went over to one of my friend's houses. And her mom had this whole setup in the basement. And she was quilting And I was in awe of this thing, this machine that had these capabilities of like transforming a flat piece of fabric into something functional, functional and wearable and beautiful. And I was, I was so obsessed. So I started making things and I would sew on the nights and the weekends as a kid. I was very weird. Like my mom would come in my room and be like, what are you doing? And I would just be cranking away on the sewing machine. And she's like, this is so strange. Like I do not have an ounce of creativity in me. I don't know how my child has this, but I was totally obsessed with it. And I had three younger sisters. So I was making clothes for them. I would make like clothes for stuffed animals. And love it. I was always entrepreneurial. So when I was 12 years old, I tried to get a patent on this on this product that I invented called a crutch bag. And so what it was is that I was actually injured at the time because I was a dancer and I broke my ankle and I was on crutches and I wanted to carry things with me as I was going places. So I made these little pockets that I sewed on to my crutches and there was like a little strap of Velcro to keep them on. And I was just a creative kid like that and Mm -hmm. nothing ever happened with this patent. But, you know, I started a little business called crutch bags and I was selling them to other injured kids at the time, (laughs) uh, which was so strange, but it was hilarious. 
<laughs> it sounds good though. It sounds so good. I know. So, and then the last story is that in high school, I actually took the drapery down and this is kind of where interior comes in, interior design. So mm-hmm. I took the drapery down from my living room and I made my homecoming dress out of it what? without telling, without telling my mom. <laughs> and we happened to have photo, photos in the backyard that day. And she's looking at me with the other parents being like, that dress looks so familiar. And she couldn't, she couldn't like put her finger on it. She was so confused about this dress. She's like, I've never seen this dress before that you're wearing, but it looks familiar. And I didn't tell her and I was waiting to tell her until I was in front of other people. So she wouldn't freak out on me. And I told her, I was like, mom, I'm sorry, but I couldn't find any fabric. And I took the drapery down and I made the dress. And she was like, this is insane. But that was the beginning of my journey. So, so that was me as a kid. It led me to New York City. I, I went to Parsons and I earned a fashion degree there. Um, and then I spent some time at several fashion startups. And then I found a job at an interior design startup. I, I realized fashion design wasn't for me, but I mm-hmm. wanted to be in a high, fast growth environment with um, some level of creativity. And that was interior design. So I kind of fell into this job as a client services person. And I was the liaison essentially between the designer and their clients. So I managed the process from beginning to end and mostly was only communicated to when there was a problem. And so this is where Gail, what you were speaking about, the pain point comes in Mm -hmm. and designers were communicating to me that they were having issues with their custom resources that they had. So for example, a designer sent in fabric to get a chair made and they made the chair on the opposite side of the fabric. So like the back, you know, was facing out, which right. was a problem. Right. And it wasn't the quality of the chair of the, of the upholstery. Like that was great. It was the communication of which side was the outside. So what I noticed and what I pinpointed was it was the details communicated to the maker that was not being communicated to properly. Okay. So because I had this very high attention to detail and I was in this role and communicating with designers and I had the skill set of sewing, I said, okay, let me cut out all these issues for you because also I don't want to deal with them. Right. So let me start, let's start small. Let me start sewing your pillows. Bring your family in the office. I'll bring it home. I'll sew it over the weekend. I'll charge you half the price that whoever else you're going to is charging and I'll cut down in half the time. So I started cranking out sewing projects in my living room and I honestly only had just this, uh, like a standing machine on my my living room table or my mm-hmm. dining room table. Mm-hmm. And I know I needed something a little bit more industrial because I was working with upholstery grade fabrics that you know required a little bit of a heavier duty machine. So I was searching through Craigslist and I came across this this uh, machine from the, in the West Village and. I went to go check it out and it actually happened to be from a student at Parsons because it had like a Parsons sticker on the side of the machine. Right. So I, I'm so excited. You know, it was a great price. I walk up the stairs, I enter into the room, there's a sewing machine right there. And I remember it was like a hot summer day and I tested out the machine. I was like, this is great. I go back home. And at the time I was living with my boyfriend and another roommate and my boyfriend now is my husband. Uh But at the time it was just my boyfriend and I come home. I had no money. I had nothing saved up. I was like, Hey, I really need this machine. I know it's going to help with this little side business of creating pillows that I have. Can you help me buy it? It was $300 at the time. Right. And He's like, no problem. I'm going to help you. Like, I know you have so much passion for this business. Like, this is the least I can do. So I said, but the only other thing is that I need you to help me carry the machine 
into the apartment. <laughs> so he went with me on a Saturday to go pick up this industrial sewing machine. We realized it was on a fifth floor walk up in the <gasps> West Village. And oh we, it was so sweaty because there's no air conditioning. And we took two and a half hours to go down the stairs with the machine. Meanwhile, he has like a huge gash on his arm. He now has scars from this experience, but <laughs> he's like, this better turn into something. You better make it better work. work. <laughs> yes, make yeah, it worth it. better make it work. So we get home and that was the end of that story. But that was the first machine that I had and it got me pretty far. Um, but essentially, you know, slowly after starting to work on these projects for designers, I decided, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to take it a step further. I can do more than just pillows. I can bring on more people. This is such a need because organically designers were starting to flock towards this business, mm -hmm. uh, mostly because I could communicate very well. And I was communicating with younger designers who like to just text, you know, or they like using web <laughs> applications right. and they don't really like chatting on the phone or sending emails very much. They just want to give me the details and me to do it. So I decided like, let me build a, a robust, easy to use website where the designers can enter in all their details and information and I can track it and it will reduce communication issues and designers can constantly update their project. Let's say if a measurement changes or if there's an extra detail that needs to be communicated, this website allows them to edit their project up until the point that we receive the fabric. And even after that, I was able to communicate with designers if there were changes that needed to happen. So a couple of years roll by, I still have this kind of as a side hustle. And then I realized like, let's make this legit. Like let's really make this a true company. I brought on a co-founder, um, Tom, who's in LA actually currently, and he has the tech side of things. So he built out this very amazing platform that allows designers to enter in all the details of the project. And then on the back end, it allows our manufacturing to track the production process from beginning to end to make sure that we're hitting all the deadlines we need to and that we're delivering products on time. Right. Because I think that was another pain point of these designers. You know, you keep calling up your upholster or your workroom and you're, they're like, oh, probably next week, maybe the week after. I'm not really <laughs> sure when it's going to be ready. And I was a huge stickler on timelines. So now designers have the ability to log into their account and see what date the project is going to ship. And for some reason, if that does change, there's a notification that happens much like prior to that date. Um, so there's a lot less calling going on from designers calling, being, where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? Like there's a very easy to use tracking system within that website. So, so yeah, so now we're at this point where we have this tech enabled custom home furnishings company. So essentially our main products are pillows, custom cushions. Those That was the second product offering. Um, and now we're into ottomans, headboards, you know, reupholstery, sofas, the whole shebang, I right. would say. Drapery. Right. Drapery is new. And we're, you know, just trying to optimize and get better and better at the manufacturing side of things. We mm -hmm. have a manufacturing facility in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. And we are actually working on projects all over the U.S. So we have shipping capabilities all over the U.S., which has been really great uh, to be able to service all different communities. Wow. Wow. Okay. So how many people do you have on staff currently? So I have six full time and then I have about eight others that are either part time or contractors that come in to, to help with the actual manufacturing. Oh, my God. Okay. So. It's great that you're a communicator and you're absolutely right about everything you said because it can be a pain point. And because I think people also, 
treat the accessories as last minute and not really give that much thought to it. And so that's super important. All right. So now that business is up and running, what are, okay. So sorry, I'm like stuttering here because there's so much I want to ask you. (laughs) I'm like, where do we go from here? Okay. So what did you think the business would be? Right. Because you thought it was one thing. And what do you know it to what do you know it actually is? And and what is your most valuable lesson that you have learned being an entrepreneur and being in business for yourself? Because everybody thinks being an entrepreneur is fun, easy. Oh, you get to make your own hours. You get to work Monday through Thursday, 10 to 4 and Friday, go to the beach. I wish. (laughs) That sounds like a dream. I think I think if that were true, everyone would do it. Right. True. True. Um, someone once told me that, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And that's why not everyone does it. But I think I sometimes make it look like that. But honestly, inside it, it's very hard. Um, okay, so first question is, what did I think it would be? And what is it? So yes. I don't think that I thought it would get this far. <laughs> honestly, I when I first started it, it was totally out of a necessity and a pain point that I experienced and that I saw. And I was really just trying to solve that problem. I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always been a leader. I, again, going back to growing up, I'm the oldest of four girls and I was just always that role. And I love being that role. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted, I think, to have my own business, but I always told myself, I'm never going to just create a business to just to be a business owner or just to do it. There has to be a need and there has to be a pain point that I'm solving. Right. Because then you're not in it for the right reasons. You know, you have a mission when it's connected to a problem that you're experiencing. But if you're just like, hey, I just want to be this cool business owner and have my own thing, like that's not sustainable long-term. You're not going to get very far because it is so hard. You have to have this thing that you're connected to that you're solving. So again, I don't think it would get as far as we have, which is awesome. I think it's because I have been so dedicated. And again, I am work. I well, I just had a baby. So Honestly, I'm just starting to ease back into things. But I, before having the baby in October, I was working 80 to 100 hour weeks. It was insane just because that was my baby. Like now I have a real human baby, but before that it was stitch room and that was my baby. And I would do anything in my power to, to grow it, you know, to nurture it, to keep it alive and to keep it thriving. And I'm just really grateful and excited to be where we are today uh, just because it was my dream and I'm kind of living it. But also what happens and what tends to happen, I think I've talked to a lot of business owners and founders of companies that you get to the point that you, that your dream is, but then you have, then you keep going Then you want to keep going. So I'm at the point now, a couple of years ago, if you would have said, Oh, this is where you would be like, this is the size studio you would have. These are all the employees that you would have working for you. I would have been like, Oh my God, that's unbelievable. That's no way that's going to happen. And then you arrive there and now I'm like, okay, now what's next? Like now I got to go further and I got to push it harder and I want to expand. And I have all these other ideas and opportunities now uh, because you just grow, you know, and you get to this point where, you want to make it even better, which you didn't even think that was possible, but then you get there and you're like, oh, it is possible. So I think what's next is really nailing down our manufacturing, really making sure our process is great and our quality is exceptional mm-hmm. in New York City and really nailing it down here first with all of the interior designers that we can access in New York City and then start to create hubs, I think, in other locations. What we do really well is 
the manufacturing and streamlining the process. So we've gotten to a point where we almost have a playbook of how to operate seamlessly right? Um, and nailing that down and then being able to open up in other locations once we've figured out that process is, I think, the next step. Oh, my God. Like, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And um, and and congratulations on being a mom. Uh, oh, thank you. Because <laughs> that, that's crazy. Been, crazy time. Yeah. Crazy time and it's funny mom. because <clears throat> here we are as women, we have to figure it all out. Like you have to still run your business, right? And be profitable because mm-hmm. that's <laughs> first and foremost, a mother can live her life. Um, totally. And then you have to balance out motherhood in that. Yes. And, and that's, yeah. Yeah, we have. We always have. Sometimes I just I am strapping the baby on. You know, I I show up in the studio and I'm doing things with him, just connected to me. That's exactly what I thought would happen. You know, when I was pregnant, a lot of my uh, team members were like, "I can just see you coming in with this baby, you know, wrapped onto you, and then just cranking away <laughs> the sewing machine." So, what is your like, family going to happen? No, and it's well, that's life. That's you have to get it done. What does your yeah. family think about it? Like, are your sisters are like, "Oh my God, your mom"? Yeah. So they're great. They're so supportive. We're all very, very different people, but in the best way. And Mm -hmm. we're all doing totally different things in totally different industries. So it's really nice to actually have, there's like no competition whatsoever. We're just super supportive of each other. And I actually have one sister that's in New York now that I'm able to see a lot. So that's really great to have that support, especially during COVID. And Mm -hmm. my mom, um, she's actually a teacher, but because of COVID and she's high risk, she had to step away from teaching for a while. So she's actually helping at Stitch Room. She's volunteering. So oh my goodness. So what is she doing so, for you? <laughs> so she's doing, she's doing inventory ordering and inventory management, which is awesome. So she's creating spreadsheets. You know, she's ordering all the foam that we need from our suppliers, all the glue, all the necessary things to complete a project. She's on top of. It's so, so funny. You just said foam. I like had a pit in my stomach. I just had a vendor reach out to me saying there's a foam shortage. And, yes. And what I is. just ordered just just made the cusp and got the last bit of foam. And I was like, oh, thank God, because it's for a show house. That I'm oh, doing. No. I know we're dealing with that, too. So we're trying to get ahead of it and you know, order a ton that we can just have sitting there. I think it was due to the Texas freeze and what yes. was happening over there. Yeah. yeah. Now so have, we're dealing with that too. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. COVID is, has really made you, if you were not a patient person, you've had to learn patience. Yes. Um, and you just had, you had to learn to pivot real fast. You, you couldn't sit there and be like, Oh, this is horrible. <laughs> You'd be like, okay, this is horrible. Mm-hmm. What, what do I need to do to keep the business running? I'm sure that business is super busy for you and has spiked because as an interior designer, I know a lot of people thought once COVID happened, everybody was going to be, especially designers are like, that's it. My business is over. And for me, I was just like, no, I think we're all looking at this the wrong way. This is an opportunity where people are sitting in their homes and they're realizing this does not work for me. Like, you know, the open concept or the office that they had really wasn't a comfortable office to be working in eight hours and that, oh God, now the kids are home. So we have to navigate. So business has really spiked. Has it made your lead times longer or have you been able to navigate that still? And, And what is your normal lead time? Okay, so in the beginning of COVID last March, March and April, 
I think there was a bit of panic just in general because no one knew what this virus looked like or what it was. Mm-hmm. And our a lot of our commercial projects were halted. So that is a big part of our business, restaurants, commercial spaces, office spaces. And so in that moment, it was a little bit scary. And again, as you said, you know, we have to learn how to pivot quickly. We produced face masks. So we started making masks for hospitals very, Sweet. very, very quickly within the first couple of weeks before anyone else is doing it. And at the same time, we were donating, obviously, to help with the pandemic in general. But then we started selling them to keep our business afloat. So we did that for two months, two or three months. And that was great because it allowed us to stay afloat. And then, you know, there were other loans that we could get. But as you were saying, yes, very shortly after this all began, maybe a couple months in, everyone realized, okay, we're going to be in this for a while. This is almost our new normal for life. We have to figure it out and we want to change our spaces. And we want, now that I'm spending so much time in my space, I want to make sure that it's my sanctuary, you know, as I know it. So then yes, we started seeing spikes. And at the same time, although business was thriving, we could not have our full capacity of manufacturers on the floor at one time because of COVID. Okay. So we we had to stagger schedules and we actually switched to the, all of the sewers working from home and what I did was I physically had to we had all the cut pieces of like pillows and cushions and all of that and I would go deliver it to their house and then they would sew it and I would pick it up a couple of days later and bring it back to the studio and someone would stuff it and ship it. So we really had to change the way that we were manufacturing for a while. And we had to cut back on doing any of the larger pieces um, because we could only have a limited number of people in the studio at once for safety reasons. Right. And we made it work. But yes, the lead times did extend a little bit and they are still extended. And we used to say that our you know, average turnaround for pillows and cushions was two weeks. Now it's between two and three weeks. Oh, that's so not even a big deal. That's yeah, <laughs> that's it's fine. Extended a little bit. Yes, it's extended a little bit, but it's not. It's still really, really great lead times for custom. And I think that was one of my goals. Um, you know, if you're ordering a pillow or two, it shouldn't take six weeks. Right. So. You know, it depending depends on the project. Of course, if you're doing like a full reupholstery of a vintage sofa, you know, that's going to take weeks. But if you're ordering pillows and a cushion for your bench, like that should not take very long. So that's kind of where we're at currently. But we actually just moved to a bigger space. Mm-hmm. And so now that allows us to actually have all full capacity because everyone's a lot more spread out now. Okay. So that's great. Now let's talk about upholstery real quick for a second. So do you come and pick up or do, or do you make the arrangement for the pieces to be delivered, you know, to be bought to your store? Okay. Yeah. So we have resources to be able to pick up and deliver, but sometimes designers already have, you know, their guy that does all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So we work in both ways. It's just a request that you can ask and that we can set that up for you. Okay. And how long have you been doing the upholstery and do you love it? Yes. So the upholstery has been about a year and I'm not the best at upholstery. So I knew that I wasn't going to be the person actually (laughs) manufacturing these things. So I found an expert and now I have a master upholster on this, on the team. He's amazing. He's great. Um, He's been doing this for over 20 years. So really understands, you know, how to upholster and how to build things from scratch and all of that. Mm -hmm. But I love having that aspect on the, 
within the products that we're offering now, just because it is so interesting and beautiful. And I think the coolest part is finding the weird things inside of the furniture once they're opened up. Ooh, so listen, we actually, it's crazy. <laughs> like we actually started a board in our office, a cork board where we just pin things that we find inside. Uh -huh. Um, Sometimes it's like old Skittles, like gross, weird food. And then sometimes it's it's like notes or, you know, a note from the 60s or the 50s of someone just writing something in there, um, which is so cool. And it gets such a, an intimate, awesome experience to find those things. And it mm -hmm. just makes it so human and real. And I think that's what we're trying to provide, too, is like this everything is handmade. It's local. It's there's hands touching these products that put love into it. And right. I think we want to continue that. Um, so I love the upholstery side of things. It is definitely more complex, but you yeah. get beautiful things out of it and you can prolong the life of something that, you know, you might otherwise not have if you didn't have that as a resource. That's and true. now living in this sustainable world, you know, you want to, do whatever you can to not throw stuff away, like especially beautiful old furniture. Like, why would you if you have this opportunity to be able to recover it? I am one that will find something on the street and have it reupholstered. I, and I mean, Damn. and I've done that, whether it's for clients, because, you know, it's like good bones and a great silhouette, but yes. it's just lost. You know, she just lost her luster. So you have to make it, yeah. make it better. What is the lead time? She needs time? a new outfit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> she needs new heels. Um, <laughs> So what is the lead time on the upholstery? Um, I would say, again, depending on the piece, probably about four to six weeks. Okay. Currently. Yeah. Again, we only have one person on staff doing it. I'm actually looking to hire. So if anyone's listening to this, that knows upholsterer <laughs> looking for a job. <laughs> um, um, no, we're trying to find more people, but again, like, it's such a, it's such a, an art form. It is. It's hard. It's hard to find. So we're working on that. We're also probably going to be training, you know, younger less experienced people because again, it's just something you have to learn over time. This is true. Um, it's trial and error. It's learning through each individual project because every piece is different and you can find commonalities throughout them. And there's certain, there's certain ways to do things and you know, how to manufacture and how to take apart something, but it's a little bit different every single time. So you just have to have that touch. So we're working on getting more people in that so we can actually lower those lead times, which is, pretty much what we're focusing on in 2021. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing. This has been really amazing for me. So before we go, tell the people where they can find you and people, whoever's looking for an upholstery job. <laughs> yes. So you can find Stitch Room at stitchroom.com. So Stitch Room is just one word, stitchroom.com. And our Instagram is at try Stitch Room. So T-R-Y Stitch Room. And that's pretty much where you can find us. Those are the only two you really need, a website and Instagram. Anything beyond yeah. that, is, it's like whatever. Um, right. <laughs> I'm always like, no, you just need the two. Well, <laughs> Ella, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate this. And I would love to, you know, chat with you again at the end of the year and see what else is new, because I know you got a lot more things happening. Yes, so. that'd be amazing. Thanks, Gail. I appreciate it. This no, is fun. No problem. Enjoy your day, my love. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Design Perspectives podcast. As always, I'm your host, Gail M. Davis. I really appreciate you listening. Please don't forget to rate me on iTunes. It is super important and will help people to find where we are located. And 
The Design Perspectives podcast is also available on Design Network Platform. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. Thank you.